Christian, I'll allow you to take the lead. If you have any questions or the people have any questions, I, I'd love to take them. You, you're, you're in command, brother. Man, you've touched on your story a little bit, but your story's inspired so many in this generation, millennials, Gen Z. Um, what do you tell people about overcoming adversity in life um, to be successful? Mm. It's not necessarily a political question, but just a life question. Well, you know what? I think a lot of people hear the idea that God will never give you more than you can handle. But my friends, I believe that's a lie. Because God will give us more than we can handle. But we can handle anything so long as we rely on Him. And so, I tell you, hard times will come. Adversities will definitely come to your life. But if you decide right now to make sure that you have a strong foundation on the Lord, because I'll tell you, when I was sitting in the hospital room, I, I literally, I, I couldn't speak because my diaphragm was ruptured. I had a traumatic brain injury to the point I could barely speak. I was in more pain than I can imagine. But something that did not change were God promises in my life. And that is what inspired me to keep moving forward. Because I knew that if I was alive, that meant that I could still make a difference for his kingdom. And that's what enabled me to push through. That's awesome. That's awesome. Could you talk a little bit more about your faith and what it means to be a Christian serving in politics? And, I mean, there's a lot of pools in Washington to go every which way, but how do you continue to walk the straight and narrow and be a, a man of integrity and, and do what God has called you to do? Well, one, um, I know that if I start becoming one of a lying scumbag in Washington, my brother will beat the tar out of me. So uh, I have decided because of that, I will always live in my district instead of Washington, D.C. Because I found these people that go to Washington and actually live there full time. They get so caught up in chasing that next echelon of power. and say, well, hey, I'll help my district once I get to this next level of power. But I need to do what I need to do now to, to be able to do it. But the next thing you know, it's been 15 years. They're still chasing this next echelon of power. And they've never done anything for the American people. And so the way that I stay grounded is I live in my district. And I, I look my people in the eye every single day, and I know what I'm there to do. And I'm there to serve them. Uh, and so I, I will tell you, being a Christian in Washington, D.C., I have people that come up to me all the time and say, hey, well, are you sure you're going to be able to divorce yourself of your faith so that you can, you know, we'll have separation of church and state? And I, I look at them, and, and they hate this answer, but I say no. Because when they said separation of church and state, which is not in our Constitution, it was written in a letter, it's not actually any, in any formal document of our country, what, our, what, what that was meant is that we need to keep the government out of our churches, not the church out of our government. And, and what, one last thing I want to add on that is I, I will tell you when they say they're coming after the churches to shut down our churches, they're not trying to shut down every church. They're trying to shut down churches like this that preach the real truth. They want to have this third party of these woke pastors who are going to get up there and put the rubber stamp of, of, of our higher power on their terrible ideas. And so when they say they want to shut down churches, they just want to shut down true, God-fearing, Bible-preaching churches. But they want to actually have churches that are filled with these woke pastors who validate everything that they do. So be on the lookout for false prophets who come and are only here to, to try and advance a political agenda. Final question, and then take questions from the audience. Um, what are the steps that young people can take to get to the place that you are? Because you touched on this. You want reinforcements, but how do young people get to the position? I think we have future congressmen, governors, state representatives, local elected leaders, county officials in this room. But how do they get to the steps? How do they take the right steps to get to where you are, Madison? 
well, one, I would highly recommend you getting involved on a campaign. Find, find a real patriot who's actually looking to get elected for the right reasons, and then go work on their campaign. Whether they lose or win, you're actually going to get to fundamentally understand how a campaign works. Uh, because a lot of people, when they get into this campaign season, they, they start running around like chickens with their head cut off. Uh, but what you need to do is you need to figure out exactly how many votes you need to win, and then you need to go out and talk to that many people and say, hey, can I have your vote? And when they say yes, write their name down, write their phone number down. So then when election time comes, you have you and your team, and you're sitting there making phone calls to them saying, hey, I need you to show up to the polls. You told me you'd vote for me. I need you to do it now so we can save our country. Uh, but to the people here who are a lot younger than I am, because you need to be 25 years old to run for Congress, there's a few positions you can run for, run for at 18 years old. But for those people that are in this room that are uneligible to run for Congress right now, it's time for you to start preparing. And so when I said that you need to start understanding what you're consuming, whether it's books or podcasts or the people that you listen to or the friends you surround yourself with, get very intentional on surrounding yourselves and on divorcing yourselves of people, your peers, who are willing to settle for mediocrity. Because if we all are surround ourselves with people who are willing to settle for mediocrity, we will do that ourselves. Push yourself. Surround yourselves with the people in this room because you're not alone. The, the media and social media wants to convince you that young conservatives don't exist. But take a look around this room. That's a freaking lie. And so surround yourselves with great people and, and consume the, the information. Read all the Federalist Papers. Understand our founding documents. Understand how special this nation is. Understand that it was founded on God-given God principles that predate any form of government. And I think that will make you the, the best you can be. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if you would, would you take some questions from our audience? I would love to. Uh, Luke, we'll start with you. Hey, my name is Anna Marie, and my question is, if we take the House in 2022, what's our first priority? Well, Anna Marie, that's a fantastic question. Thank you. So, uh, again, I think our first priority is, is we hear so many politicians saying right now, well, you know what? Yeah, there were some problems in the 2020 election, but we need to start looking forward. I say no to that. Uh, we need to fix the problems that occurred in the 2020 election to make sure that we can have fair elections in the future. Because I tell you, when I see 10 people show up at a rally for the most, most popular president in all of history, I realize that they lied to us. Uh, and so one is, I think, fixing election integrity. Then it will be securing our border. Uh, then it's making sure that we're having America first policy. We're just saying we're going to stop doing our manufacturing in China, no matter how much more it will cost us to do it here or do it in, in some American country. Uh, bring all of our manufacturing back here and stop sharpening the store that one day will kill us. Great question. First off, Congressman, thank you for your time. With election integrity, what is the answer? Is it a more um, dense cyber structure, or do we redesign the ballot? Uh, so I think it's a two-pronged question. One, I'll go in reverse order. I do believe we need to redesign the ballot. Let states do it, because if you let Washington, D.C., the most corrupt city on the planet, get involved, uh, we, can, for, we will for sure have messed up elections for the rest of history. But I think we need to allow our, our Republican states. I think you touched on this earlier. When we have so many states that have the trifecta of the governor, the, the Supreme Court in their state, and the House of Representatives in the state Senate, and they're not fixing the ballot system, uh, you know, right now, if you create a... a a fraudulent $1 bill, you're going to go to prison and you're going to have a $250,000 fine. But if you create a fraudulent ballot, I, what actually happens to you? It seems like nobody actually cares about that. So I think it, we need to make our ballots as sophisticated as our dollar bills are so they are incredibly difficult to replicate and they're only printed in one place. Uh, but when it comes to the cyber structure, I think we need to start going after uh, voter fraud the same way we go after white collar crime. And we need to keep a record of the digital, which is just a bunch of line of code, of the digital voter record 
because every, in, in, I'll talk specifically for my state, every time they update the voter roll every single day, they delete the previous day's voter roll. And if we were to create a, basically a screenshot system that was to be, which we are actually doing right now in North Carolina, um, but if we were to create a, a system that created a screenshot and held all the voter system, the voter file, and then we could match it up to whatever the voter file is at the end, end of the election, and say, okay, so this person voted in person on the very first day of early voting, but then they changed their vote because then they received a mail-in ballot. What does that mean? Then we can go ask the person, hey, did you change your ballot? And uh, more than likely they're going to say, I absolutely did not. And then we can then have the grounds to be able to turn, overturn that election in that state. And so that would be what we would do on the cyber side. But that's a great question. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Juliana. I'm actually a you know new uh, California refugee. Um, welcome but, to freedom. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, my question is: I understand that you want to, of course, you know, invoke the 25th Amendment with President Biden. But I'm curious: what would you rather have, Biden's America or Kamala's? And the only reason I ask that is because. You know, obviously, I, I do believe that Joe Biden is being a puppet, but I also believe that Kamala is conniving and she's knowing. She knows that she is and she knows what she's doing. And me also being a woman, I would be absolutely devastated if Kamala was our first female president. Mm. I want you to know that I empathize with exactly what you're saying. Uh, my, my team and I, we really, really were burdened with this question. It's, wow, if we get rid of Joe Biden, then we're left with Kamala Harris, who's a, a woke psycho. Um, and, and although I do respect the office of the vice presidency, I'll let you know, but, uh, but speaking about her beliefs, insane. Um, but I believe that if we continue sitting here and, and wanting to just swing for the fences, there's really no system in our government or in our constitution that allows us to remove move both the president and the vice president and their cabinet. And so this is kind of what I touched on earlier. We just need to be devoted that we will take them down one at a time. And if you want to become the president and you want to lead our country to an ash heap, then that's treasonous. And we will impeach you and we'll get you out of office. Um, and so, but I, I genuinely believe that if she takes power, she will overstep and she'll go outside of the enumerated powers and that'll be grounds to impeach her. Um, so I, I think that although it's not a perfect solution, I realize that we have someone who's in clear cognitive decline. He needs to be taken out as president. Um, and, I, and this is not something that I realize. It's not a political talking point. I mean, we literally are seeing dead American patriots in Afghanistan. Why are we spending our blood and our treasure in some sandbox across the sea? Uh, we need to get our troops back home, but we need to do it with a president who's going to be able to actually execute that. And our, the pr current president we have right now is incapable of that. Um, but I, I, I believe that we need to start holding people accountable. And it's not the perfect answer, uh, but we'll, if we start holding people accountable, they'll realize, hey, I can't just start ruling the way that we have been able to do for the last four decades because the patriot movement no longer is just going to sit idly by and say, oh, you can do whatever you want. They literally took out Joe Biden. I need to watch myself. And so I think it'll make them more cautious. But, but I agree. I, I, that would be awful if she was our first female president. I would much rather have a Candace Owens or some, somebody else. So, um, what would you do about the situation in Afghanistan? So, uh, if we want to go back in history, you know, I, I called President Trump right when they were saying, oh, well, this was President Trump's plan. And let me tell you, can I, just a quick aside, getting to have the president's number, Donald Trump's number, is like the coolest thing in the world. 
Because anytime I run into like a major problem I don't understand how to solve, I, I just call Donald Trump and then he's like, oh, that's easy, Madison. First, it's going to be huge. My idea is perfect. And, this is the, uh, and it's, it, it's a lot of fun. But, um, but so I called him when they were saying, that, well, this was the president's plan. Um, and I'll tell you, I called him to verify that and that's a lie. Um, his plan was fantastic. It was basically, you know, use our existing troop presence there to get all of the Americans who want to leave. The Americans who want to stay, unless they're missionaries, that makes no sense to me. Um, but get all of our Americans out. Get the people. And I genuinely believe that if you actually served our country and saved our Marines and our, our Navy SEALs and our, our, our soldiers' lives, um, those are people that I'm willing to bring into the country. But these, these unvetted refugees, that's absolutely not something I'm willing to do. So I would have brought our allies that served alongside after a very strict vetting process. I would have brought them back, brought our American citizens back. Then I would have gotten all of our equipment out. Um, I would have, and then I would have bombed our bases to smithereens. Uh, because I, I will tell you, seeing the Taliban in our special forces gear, seeing them having night vision goggles and seeing them carrying you know, M4s now instead of AK-47s, it's, it's, very, it's a paradigm that I'm not able to overcome. And seeing them mock what our Marines did on Iwo Jima with that photo, that makes me angrier than I can possibly imagine. Uh, but what I would do now is, I, 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 I'm not for nation building, I'm not for sending troops back in, but we need to go in. Uh, the people that killed our troops need to be held accountable. I know we just had an airstrike on ISIS-K and we killed a few of them. Every single one of them needs to be dead. Uh, and, and then I would, we would send enough troops in, push out past the perimeter of the uh, actual airport to create a vetting center so we can get all of our green card holders, all of our uh, citizens back into the country, fly them out, then we bring our troops out. And that's what I would do now. Yeah. Hello, my name is Jennifer. My daughter is in the Navy and now they're starting to mandate that all servicemen have the vaccine. I'm wondering if there's anything that Congress can do to stop Biden and Kamilala Ding Dong from <laughs> requiring us, for the military and us, from having to have the vaccine. If we don't want to take the jab, we shouldn't have to. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. Um, so one, I'm sorry that your, your daughter's having to serve under an incompetent commander in chief, and I hope she's never put in harm's way because of that and we will be praying for it. But uh, my team and I, actually, we will be releasing something soon. I'll put it on, on my Instagram or some social media platforms. Uh, there is a way to request a, a, a religious exemption. You have to go to your commanding officer and say, hey, I would like to have a religious exemption. Then you can literally just call your pastor, have them sign something. You know, the, she needs a religious exemption for, and they'll give you some reason. And then, so the, that is built into it. But right now, when you're asking, we need Congress to do something. Unfortunately, and th this is something that frustrates me to, to no end, is the fact that the way our Constitution is written, until we actually have the majority, or 51% of the vote in Congress, there's really not much we can do. And that is something that, that is, I'm very sorry about. Um, once we take the majority back, as I believe we will, uh, we will try and stop this, and we will stop it. I, I give, I, that's something I will work on personally. Uh, but right now, her best bet is to ask for a religious exemption. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Howdy. And also, if they start bringing down mandates on all of us, if they start telling us that you need a vaccine passport to go in and eat somewhere, or you need to resist, I mean, ju just don't comply. Uh, that's tyranny. And it's, uh, when, when tyranny becomes law, and this is a popular saying, but when tyranny becomes law, non-compliance and rebellion to that tyranny is duty. And so that, that's what I would say. Hi, my name is Ryan, and I'm a political science major, and I was wanting to know what your stance is on gerrymandering and how the lines should be drawn. That's a really great question. I think it should be completely left up to the state legislatures. 
uh, because the state legislature is what is closest to the to those people in that state. And, and so when you're voting on your state reps, realize that that actually heavily affects what happens to the federal government because they get to draw the congressional lines. Um, I think they should be drawn in a fair way to be representative of those people. Um, so obviously the idea of gerrymandering I'm against. Um, but, you know, I, I, it should be left up to the state governments. There's no federal law mandating what happens. The state should be able to decide that. And so I, I would say whatever the state decides, you know, that's what the people want because that's who they voted for. That's a hard one to clap for. I know that wasn't, that wasn't like the most exciting thing I've ever said. So. Uh, hi, I'm Mason. So my question is, what specifically should be done about the border crisis? Uh, yes, so number one, I, I think a physical barrier has got to be constructed. Um, you know, even, even the wall that we have being built, I, I don't even like that one. I think it should be a 20-foot wall like with freaking archers on top of it. Um, <laughs> And so, one, we need to build a wall. That, that's, a great, that's a great barrier. That's what every single Border Patrol agent says they need the most. Uh, next, we need to give the Border Patrol agency as much funding as they need to have, to have whatever, whether it's drones patrolling the border, to have the most high-tech security, so that if we, you know, to detect the vibrations that come from people tunneling, we can stop that immediately. Uh, we need to continue to have our Coast Guard monitoring the, the coastline as well as they can. Uh, but I genuinely believe that we need to stop all immigration right now. Uh, because right now we have a major problem. And I'm not saying that I'm anti-immigration. We'll reopen it in a, in a way that's best for America. Uh, but until we get our border locked down and still we stop the hemorrhaging that's going on our southern border, we can't, our country just can't handle it. And, and so, I, you know, the, they used to say there's 10 million illegal immigrants in this country. The reports I'm seeing is I now believe there's actually close to over 20 million illegal immigrants in this country, uh, which is something that, that's mind-boggling to me. I see why they want to come here. Uh, it makes sense to me. Um, but, but unfortunately, you know, we're not here to be the caretaker of the world. We're here to be the caretaker of the American citizens. And so we need to lock our border down, one with a border wall, and then, you know, we need to remove the, a lot of the rules of engagement that Border Patrol has. And st because we went down to the border, um, you know, and we got to have some fun. Blake, was that in McAllen, Texas? We went down to McAllen, Texas, and I, I literally was sitting there in a wheelchair, smoking a cigar, because we're just going to sit here for a few hours and see what happens. We literally saw hundreds, literally hundreds of people just crossing our border right then. And, and the fact that they weren't wearing Biden and Kamala shirts blew my mind because they literally said, well, you know, the Biden administration were promising us that we could come here. And our Border Patrol agency has now been turned into a greeting party where they just take people in, they bring them in, they sit them down, and then within a few days, I actually had a hard time getting back to Washington. Uh, for votes, and you know, I, I'm on the phone very aggressively with my with the guy who was getting at my stuff. I said, you know, Stephen, why am I not? Why do we have such a hard time getting me on these flights? There's, I see 50 open seats. This doesn't make any sense. And we actually just released a bill on this because I, I literally witnessed it myself. And then the other door, the other side of the, the you know the cabin door opened, and then 50 immigrants came onto our plane that taxpayers were paying for. They had a giant, whether it was Boston or L.A., they had a giant, they had a, a giant yellow envelope with a city written on it and then two of them literally sat beside me as a cute little girl and her mother and I, I talked to them they spoke a little bit of English and they had literally just crossed the border and then taxpayers were f paying to fly them into the interior of our country and so we have a bill which is the no fly act which means no taxpayer money should be used to fly illegal immigrants into our country it's awful What are your thoughts on critical race theory and how would you advise students like us to stand up against it when it's happening in our classrooms every day? Well, thank you for that. One, uh, Charlie Kirk just released something incredible, which is uh, the, the, uh, the uh, education board watch list. And so the board of education inside of your county determines what happens inside of your schools. They, they are in command of the superintendent. And so the best thing I would advise is, one, you know, 
it's kind of useless for you just to sit there and, and, and try and beat your head against the, uh, the teacher because they answer to the superintendent or to, their, to whoever's in command of them. And so the best thing I would say is, is organize a large group of students who are like-minded. Get your parents involved and go to these student board meetings, the, these education board meetings. Uh, because I will tell you right now, these people who are, are sitting on those boards, these local elected officials, they are not used to pressure. Uh, so we went to, the, to a few of these, these meetings, and they're not the most fun meetings to go to, I'll tell you that. But it's so necessary because this is the education you're having to go through. And so we actually went there, and these people are not, you know, the greatest orators you've ever heard. They're not used to a lot of political pressure being applied to them. And we had hundreds of parents with us. We had hundreds of students with us. And we went there, and we just basically dressed them down to the point that they said, okay, masks are no longer mandatory in our classrooms. Uh, because they're not used to having to take that kind of pressure. And so I would organize your parents and organize your students to go to those meetings. Are you in a private school or public school? Yes, yeah, so I, the, I would go to those meetings. They happen once, once, a, once, a, once a month normally. Uh, there's always some kind of weird rule of how you have to get there to speak. But go there and speak to these people and give them your real feelings and real heart. And these people are elected to, to actually be there to, to represent the people that they're, they're elected to do. And so if they hear the people dressing them down and aggressively coming at them, meeting after meeting after meeting, they will crumble. Like they get 10 emails that are aggressively against them and they, they, they freak out. And so I, I would recommend become very aggressive to them and let them have no rest until they stop with this critical race theory crap. Because it's literally teaching us, hey, well, okay, if you're this color, then you are an oppressor. If you're this color, then you're oppressed. That's the most racist thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and so we, we, it needs to be confronted. And thank you for asking that question. Hi, I'm Nathan Ramirez. I was wondering, on your way to a position in government, how did you avoid sinful influence? That's a great question. Um, one, you know, I, since, I was, since, since I was very young, I, I have read a proper bidet since I was about six years old. Um, and that created a habit in my life of spending time with the Lord every single day. And that, and that was, that was in, in conjunction with actually doing a real Bible study. Um, but one, you need to be very grounded in your faith before you go into that battlefield because there is a lot of sin and there's a lot of, lot, lot of temptation. Um, but make sure you're grounded in your faith. Make sure you have real people around you. You know, I, I wear a compass necklace around my neck, and there's several of the guys in my life who actually wear these as well. And this basically says, you have official authority to come into my life and speak into my life. And so you need to have friends who are around you who aren't just yes-men, who aren't just going to say, oh, you're doing the greatest you've ever done. Because I tell you, if I was to give in to those kind of sins, those kind of temptations, Blake here, my chief of staff, he, he would come up and have a very difficult conversation with me. And so you need to make sure that you have influence in your life who will actually save you from those kind of sins. Jim. Howdy. You're not patriotic at all, are you? No, nah, not at all. I'm one of them crazy BLM people. <laughs> that's a joke. Please, no, that's a joke. Um, anyways, so I just want to say, like, our country truly needs to get back to, like, our founding and constitutional principles. Like, what do you plan on doing to get there? Because everything against is against the Constitution. In my opinion, I think permits to carry a gun are completely stupid yep. and dumb. And Nasty Pickle is, like, retarded and needs to get out of the way. Um, but, like, the 14th Amendment, Section 1, completely goes against forcing masks and things. And so it's like... 
how do we plan to get this? And um, if I just may add like super quick, I have a whole bunch of friends and I that are actually planning to do like a miniature travel thing like in a camper called Freedom Fest where we actually travel and teach the constitution to people. And like that's on my heart because I love that document with my life and it's just, I want that back in America and how do we plan on bringing constitutional law back? So I, I will tell you being in Washington DC, uh, I've been trying to fix that myself. It's very difficult to do up there. So I, I, the answer to it is state government. Um, and you know what? I, I know in the very beginning of the coronavirus, the governor here was, he made some weird decisions. But I will tell you, I really now believe that uh, your governor here, a fellow man in a wheelchair, which he hasn't agreed to race me yet, which I think is just shameful. Um, uh, but I, I think your governor, Governor Abbott, is doing a really great job. Governor Ron DeSantis is doing a really great job. Um, and if every single governor was like those governors or like your AG, Ken Paxton here, uh, the, the attorney generals are the ones who are actually capable of suing the federal government to stop them from doing these unconstitutional mandates. And so you need to make sure that you have a great governor and you have a great attorney general. And then the people that you send to Congress, we literally have the power in Congress to be able to impeach a judge. Now, we haven't done that in a really long time because they can give you a lot of attack orders. But again, elect people who don't care what the, what, what, what the left writes about them. Because it doesn't matter, like I said, it doesn't matter what you call me because you're not the one who called me, that you, you woke liberal journalists. They're crazy. Um, and so you need to start electing people who are, if someone's going to try and legislate from the bench and not welcome a, 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 an attorney general like the one you have here in Texas to be able to bring a lawsuit against the federal government, he should be impeached. And so you need congressmen who are going to impeach federal judges who don't do their job. And then you need governors and attorney generals who say, if you bring that to my state, you're going to meet the National Guard at the border and we will stop you. I want to know, I don't have to say my name. I want to know what, what you were thinking when you had gotten the crash and you were in the hospital for all those months. They weren't happy thoughts. Um, you, you know, I, I really felt like my whole life had been just ripped away from me. And, and I was so angry. And, I, I was, and you know, I, I encourage you guys, if you're ever angry at God, I promise he can handle it. And so, you know, you always have to be respectful for him and, 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 you know, don't take his name in vain or anything, but feel free to have a very candid conversation with God. Because I, I had a very real conversation where I said, God, you gave me the spirit of a warrior, but then you had me attacked when I was asleep and I couldn't even fight back. Why would you do that to me? I want to be your servant. And I, I was just so upset. I felt like everything had been ripped away from me. But th then I realized when I started looking around, because, you know, I, I had been praying. I said, God, just send me to a battlefield. I want to win glory for your name. I started looking around when I was in this, this hospital recovering and it was a, a spinal cord rehabilitation center. I started looking around and I said, wow, there are so many young men and young women in this hospital who are just like me, who had just had their life ripped away from them. And there were a lot of pastors who were coming to show up and talk to them, but you know, someone who can walk who's never had a spinal cord injury, it's very hard to try and listen to them try and empathize with you because it's a, you have no idea what I'm going through. And it, it was, but then I realized God had put me in a tactical position to where I had the Mont Blanc and I was going through the exact same thing. I could go speak truth into these people's lives who were literally considering suicide. And, and once I realized, wow, God, you put me in a terrible place, but I was able to save the lives of hundreds of my new friends. That's what really got me through it. And... and, and just realize that no matter where you are, no matter what trial you're facing, when you are in the hard times, when you are on the front lines, that's when God is with you the most. And just realize that's when you are capable of being used the most. And so that's where my thoughts went after a very difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. 
Hi, Mr. Gawthorne. So I wanted to hear your opinion on how the news media is limiting our form of thinking, our form of language, not allowing us to say certain words, and how it's going to affect the next generation, and how you would best think, how you think it would best be to combat that and how to fight against that now and for the next generation. So that is actually the battle of our time. Uh, you, you know, a lot of us in this room, we really got to be alive, and our children will think it's crazy. Because, you know, if, if we were to go back to, like, the 1930s when cars were really just starting to become really popular in America, or the 1920s, there really weren't a lot of laws on motor vehicles. And, and when we would go back, it's like, there's no windshield, there's no seatbelts, there's no speed limits. Like, this is the freaking Wild West. You, this, this is crazy. I think our children are going to look at us the same way. And they'll be like, wow, you mean you, you were on social media when there were no laws governing social media? You, you mean when there was Section 230 that, that let them be exempt from civil lawsuits so they could do whatever they wanted to us? And that we literally are living through the Wild West of social media, and now we're starting to see it become tyrannical because no one person should have the command over all the free speech and be the arbiter of truth in this country. And so I, I think we need to either, one, use some trust-busting like, uh, like, like they've done in the past and break these major companies up. Two, we need to repeal Section 230 so we can bring a civil lawsuit to say, hey, you are limiting my freedom of speech uh, because I genuinely believe that social media is the new town square. And we need to start owning that area um, because if we don't, if, if, again, like I said, what you think in here and what enters your brains is what forms your heart. You're not consuming sound bites, you're molding your mind. And that's what they are wanting to control. And um, so I genuinely believe that we have got to put some kind of governing body. And if we take the, the we had a great question from Anna Marie over here, uh, what we are going to do when we, take the, uh, when we take the house back, that's priority probably number three is to, to put social media in check and make sure it's fair for everybody. Hi, I'm Summer Grimm, and first off, I want to thank you for being here. Um, I first wanted to say that you have like changed my perspective on a lot of things, and I'm not afraid to say that if it doesn't happen yet, that my big dream is to become the first w female president yeah! of the United States. <laughs> um, I want to change the United States for all Republicans and all Christians. And I wanted to get your intel on how you feel about teenagers um, wanting to protest against our government and how they should take steps forward in changing our government. That's a great question. Uh, so you have a constitutional right to redress your government, as you know, so that means that you can go out and protest. Um, unfortunately, whenever we go out and protest, they call us terrorists, even though they're the ones who burn cities down and, and kill cops, and they're, they're vile on the other side. Um, so one... Be peaceful about it. Obviously, don't go out there, you know, just trying to, to overthrow the government. Um, but protesting, I think, has a great spot. But I think that where you should really be focusing your time is, like I was saying, is consuming knowledge. You know, use Hillsdale College. Go through their Constitution 101. Go through their Founding Fathers. Understand the Federalist Papers. Uh, understand exactly how our government works because we're able to outmaneuver a lot of people in Washington, D.C. because they don't actually understand how the, our founding documents work and how our our, how the body of Congress is governed. And so because we actually understand that, you know, my chief and I, we were homeschooled. We, we studied that all the time doing classical education. And so we're able to outmaneuver people a lot with that. Um, but if you will uh, either send me a message on Instagram and just tell me who you are, and then I will give you my email. When you do start running for office, email me and we'll come help you. Madison, people aren't leaving. They're positioning themselves to get pictures with you afterward. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, they're, they're excited for it. So, um, we, I mean, with your, your staff's permission, it's up to them. Um, uh, w 
we want to get some pictures with you as well. Where, so where do you want to do it, brother? Um, there's your staff already has it set up, man. So it's it's awesome. So, um, but we have time for a few more questions and and um, maybe one or two more questions if that's all right. Well, yeah, you. let's do two more we'll here and here. And then. Hi, Madison. I just first want to say thank you for everything you're doing for our country and constantly fighting for all of us. So I want to preface by saying. Hi, I'm Riley Ferguson. I'm 19 years old and I'm a proud paleoconservative from just south of Houston. And I will, the plane right now, I, in two years I will be sitting in Austin, Texas, and then in six years I will be in Washington, D.C. fighting for this country. That's the backup I need. <laughs> My question for you is what advice do you have for someone like me who's already doing all the right things I need to do? Like I'm already in all the right Republican organizations, already advocating for conservative policies on a campus, on my social media, so that I'm better prepared when I get to that point, so that I'm not like failing, I guess. <laughs> uh, what, what exactly are you asking? Uh, just, I just want to know, like, what are your, like, ad, what's your advice so that I'm like yes. better prepared whenever I get there? That's fantastic. So you're planning on running for state government very soon. You'll be in Austin soon. Um, one, I would look up exactly which district you want to run in, in in that state, figure out where the lines are, and then make yourself a staple in that government. And if you get invited to go speak at you know a, a, a men's prayer breakfast at 6 a.m., this is what a lot of politicians skip. They're like, oh, no, 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 I only want to go to the black tie events and dress up. Let me tell you, when you, like, coming to speak at this, this is a lot of fun. You know, get, getting to have put, put something that smells good on, put on a nice suit and go, go hang out with a lot of a really big event, that's the easy stuff. The people that I see that actually do get elected are the ones who tirelessly go and meet with their constituents, no matter how many are, there are. You know, if you get invited to come speak to a, 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 you know, a women's Bible study that's at night with just three people, go and speak to them. And then take a great picture of it, put it on social media, and all of the people in your district are going to realize, wow, she is willing to just go and meet three people. She is willing to fight for me no matter how big or how little I am. And I think that's the biggest thing. So figure out exactly the lines of your, of your area. Um, Go through exactly how many people are allowed to vote. You can use a system called I-360, and then figure out your magic number of how many it takes to win, and then go get that number. Okay, well, awesome. last one right here. Yep, final question, mom and son, so we'll just take them both at the same Both, time. all right. Okay. The Congressman, thank you so much for being here and answering all of our questions. Very much inspired by you. Um, my question is, as a current school board member in the state of California with a conservative heart, what is Congress doing to to really address the woke curriculum that's coming down. I know it's a st each state has its own curriculum, but really coming from Congress to support actual data that's math-driven, science-driven, not, not racial-driven. I really want to hear what Congress is doing to support that. So I, I will tell you, I had just had the great opportunity and the great pleasure of getting to, um, to have a fact-finding committee hearing with the Secretary of Education. Um, and I, you know, I, I went through and said, hey, have you ever been to, uh, to, to Pisgah High in my district? And he said, oh, no, I've never been there. I said, well, hey, are you aware of the problems that are going on in, um, at the, uh, Henderson, North Henderson High School? Because yeah, you understand that you know, th there's a really big issue going on there with a, a, big, uh, a big case that's going on. Do you, are you understanding that? And he said, uh, no, I haven't. And then I looked at him and said, so you've never been to any of the schools in my, account, in my district, but you think that you are equipped to be able to tell them what they need to do. I think we need to send the parents com the power completely back to the parents, let them be on the school board, let them make the decisions for what their children need. And so I I'm openly calling for this, and a lot of people are really pushed back and they're like, whoa, why would we do that? We need to abolish the Federal Department of Education. A, a bureaucrat hundreds of miles away from here in Washington has no business telling your son what he should learn. 
And so I genuinely believe, you know, we need to be teaching them more math and science. We need to be teaching them how to handle their financials when they get, graduate high school. We need to be teaching them how to actually live life instead of this woke ideology. And young man, I'll take your question. Uh, my question is, who, inspire you, who inspired you to run for Congress? Alexander Hamilton is probably my biggest inspiration. Um, you, you know, he... he he, he was young, and he said, I don't care how young I am. I, I'm going to go fight for my country. I'm going to build this country. I'm going to create our financial system uh, no matter what problems I face. And he, he was tirelessly working, risking everything all the time. And I think that's really incredible. Theodore Roosevelt's no, another person I really look up to. Uh, he, had a lot of, uh, he, he was just a man who got things done with, on his own. And so I would say if you want to read some great books, read about Theodore Roosevelt. Um, read about Augustus Caesar. Or, um, really, obviously, you don't want to become an emperor. Um, but you, sh you, should, you should study him quite a bit. Um, and then I would, say, I would say probably Caesar, Alexander Hamilton, and Theodore Roosevelt. Those are my biggest inspirations. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, Madison, it's been such an honor to have you come all the way down from North Carolina. You mentioned McAllen. Our next summit is actually going to be this fall in McAllen, the Rio Grande Valley. So we're going to go take this summit down there. Fantastic. We're going to have a great time. I know you're super busy, but maybe consider coming back. If it's on a day I'm not in Congress, we'll be there. <laughs> All right, brother. Yep. We'll give it up for Madison Cawthorn, everyone. Yeah.